Today's passage is in Genesis 29 from 1 to 14. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country, with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high, it is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. This is the word of the Lord. Please um, have your Bibles open as we cover today's passage. It will be about three chapters long. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And so we pray that your word will penetrate our hearts this morning, that our soul may be instructed and our lives changed as we study Jacob's life. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm a little embarrassed to share this, but I'd share it anyway. Recently, I got an email from Disney+. Plus. It was a recap of the year 2021. I said, it said that my family achieved star streamer status, uh, which means we're in the top 20% of Disney Plus fans in the world. Uh, this means it's official. Uh, I'm not a helicopter dad, and Kylie's not a tiger mum. I think we've just seen about every Marvel movie about two times, maybe three times. Okay, let's be honest, it's probably more like seven times. And so recently we started watching Assembled, uh, uh, which is about how they made the Marvel movies. Uh, The first one we watched was the making of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, It stars Simu Liu. Uh, It's his first ever Hollywood blockbuster. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a fantastic watch. Uh, You might have seen uh, 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 Simu Liu uh, as uh, Jung Kim in Kim's Convenience in the Canadian sitcom. Uh, So when the director, uh, Destin Daniel uh, Cretton, cast Simu for the Marvel superhero, he had his work cut out for him. He had to transform Simul from the goofy Jung Kim uh, into the Marvel superhero Ch- Shang-Chi. My goodness, there are so many hard words to pronounce. And, and it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, Destin started him on an intense training uh, regimen. Uh, Simul had to, le- uh, had to uh, develop and put on lean muscle, become more flexible. He had to learn Kung Fu and become hypermobile. 
Basimu didn't just have to practically live in the gym to play the part, he had to change his diet to look the part. Uh, KFC and Chakwaydao were out and off the menu, egg whites and green veggies were on the menu. And after about four months of hard work, Simu was transformed. He was ready to become the movie star he had always wanted to be and the Marvel superhero that the director cast him to become. And in a similar way, God chooses Jacob. God chose Jacob not to become a superhero, but someone far greater and far more important. Before Jacob or Esau even had the opportunity to audition for their role, God chose Jacob to be the bearer of the promises of Abraham. So that through him, a son of Eve, a child of the promise, will be born to reverse the curse of sin and death. But as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, Jacob's not the kind of guy we would have chosen, and certainly not a friend we would have wanted. Not only did he take advantage of his brother when he bought Esau's birthright with a bowl of stew, he also deceived his dad and tricked Isaac into giving him the blessings of the firstborn. But worse than being an opportunist and a trickster was when God appeared to him. And we saw this last week when Jacob saw God and the staircase to heaven with the angels ascending and descending on it. God didn't just appear to Jacob, God made unconditional promises to Jacob only for Jacob to respond with a conditional vow to God. And so we have a problem, don't we? How can the father of the nation of Israel not be completely committed to God, even after having seen God? How can a patriarch not completely believe in the promises of God, let alone bargain with God? If Simu wasn't completely committed to the role of Shang-Chi, he would have been fired and, and a replacement found in a heartbeat. But Simu didn't do that, did he? He appreciated the opportunity. He gave it all he had. He made the most of the opportunity that was handed to him, but not so with Jacob. Jacob knew he was chosen. He knew he was the grandson of the father of faith. But he didn't believe in the promises with the same faith. He took it by deception. But God doesn't fire Jacob, as it were, because God doesn't choose by merit but by grace, not on performance but on promise. And so just as Destin had to transform Simu into Shang-Chi, what we'll see in today's passage is how God transforms Jacob into Israel. It might have taken Simu four months to become less of a goofy Jung Kim and more of a superhero, but it's going to take God 20 years to work on Jacob so that he becomes less of a scoundrel and more of a saint. And God does this in two ways. First, God gives Jacob a taste of his own medicine. And second, God keeps affirming his promises to Jacob. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. And we're going to cover about three chapters this morning. So we're not going to cover everything in detail. We're going to focus our attention on two major life events of Jacob. The first is when Jacob gets married. Now you remember that Jacob's on the run. Uh, behind him was his murderous brother and ahead of him was the great unknown. And he's in this predicament because of his sins. Uh, you see, God will always forgive us when we sin. And, turn, and when we turn to him in repentance and faith, God will always forgive us, whatever our sins are. But we will still have to live with the consequences of our sins, don't we? And so if you commit a crime and you go to jail, and you turn back to God and say, please forgive me. Please forgive me of my sins. I repent of those things. God will forgive you, absolutely. But you still serve the rest of your sentence. And that's the case with Jacob. He flees from his brother because he had sinned. 
And his mum, Rebecca, gives him a mission to find his uncle Laban in, in Haran and to find himself a wife. And that's what happens in today's story. After what would have probably taken him weeks, uh, Jacob finally arrives in Haran and, and ends up at a well. Now at the well, there are three flocks of sheep and they're shepherds. Jacob chats to them. He finds out that Laban's well, he's alive, which is great. And then Laban's daughter, Rachel, comes with his sheep. And so, and so he's really happy to see them, rewards the Laban's sheep, tells Rachel who he is. She goes off, tells Laban, and Laban comes back and embraces him and brings him home. Now we're told uh, that Jacob, um, uh, in verse 16, that Laban had two daughters, uh, the older Leah and the younger Rachel. Now we're told in, in verse 17, have a look at it, uh, Leah had weak eyes, while Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And now we don't know exactly what weak eyes mean. It might mean her eyes didn't line up. Uh, perhaps she couldn't see well or she was sensitive to light. Or it might mean that she was just cross-eyed all the time. But the point is the contrast. The contrast between the two daughters of Laban. Rachel was attractive and Leah was unattractive. And so when Laban asked Jacob, work for me, uh, well, what will your age be? Uh, uh, Jacob replies in verse 15, have a look. Just because, uh, Laban says to Jacob in verse 15, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, now when you start talking about wages, normally you'd start talking in monetary terms. But Jacob doesn't, because he has no money, and he doesn't actually want money at this time. He wants a wife. Now, verse 18, he says, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. It's very specific. He knows exactly who he wants and how many years he's willing to work for it. Now, it might seem like Jacob's trying to buy himself a wife. Like, women were a commodity back then, and they were traded all the time. But that's not what's happening here. When you wanted to marry someone, you had to pay a dowry. And because Jacob wanted a wife and he had no money to his name, uh, he offers to work for that dowry for his wife. And now based on some calculations some smart commentators have made, uh, Jacob could have offered three years. Uh, and that would have been enough to pay the dowry for a bride. Uh, four years would have been extravagant. And so seven years is completely unnecessary. An offer too good, as it were, for Laban to refuse. Imagine that. You, you want to buy a house and you offer twice the price. It just goes to show how desperate and how much you want the house. You pay anything to get it, as it were. And so why did Jacob offer more than double the dowry? Well, well, have a look at verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel. Now, I don't know who said the Bible's boring, but as we'll see, there's a whole lot more drama in this story than the notebook or crash landing on you. And for the record, I haven't seen either of them. So Laban agrees to it. Uh, and the seven years flew by in no time. Verse 20, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And then on his wedding day, the bride is dressed in her bridal gown with a veil covering her face. But notice what happens in verse 23. Notice what Laban does. He brings the bride out, not during the day, not in the afternoon, but notice that it's in the evening. When, when it's pitch black, when the sun's set, when the sky's dark and only candles are flickering in the background, and who does Laban present to Jacob as his bride that he's so earnestly worked for for seven years? Verse 23, but when evening came 
he, Laban, took his daughter Leah, Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. Just imagine Jacob's reaction when the sun's rays shines through the window in the morning the next day. Verse 25, the morning came, there was Leah. How horrifying. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Notice what's happening here. Laban has dressed Leah as Rachel. Does that sound familiar? Laban has dressed Leah as Rachel and deceives Jacob into marrying his less lovely and older daughter. And so in case you're wondering what the lesson is here, it's this. Never get married at night. Now this, this, but the situation sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jacob deceived Isaac. Jacob deceived Isaac, his dad, by dressing as Esau to get the blessing. And now Laban deceives Jacob by dressing his older daughter Leah as his younger daughter Rachel. Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine, and he's not happy about it. For the deceiver is deceived, and the con artist is conned. The manipulator is manipulated and the trickster has been tricked. Now you might be wondering, why did, why did Laban deceive Jacob? Well, he explains it in verse 26. Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. So Laban ex- excuses it and says, Jacob, because it's our custom, this is what I had to do. I had no choice, as it were. But I think that there's more to it. It might be true that it's their custom, but I think there's more to it. You see, for seven years, while Jacob was working for Rachel, what was Leah doing? She should have gotten married. Laban should have found her a suitor. But the fact that she was still around and single probably means that Laban couldn't find a suitor for her, find a groom for her. No one wanted her. We don't know why. Maybe it's because of her weak eyes, whatever that meant. But basically, he couldn't marry her off. And so she became a problem for him. And so now he made her Jacob's problem. And so Laban not only gets to marry off her, his eldest daughter, who no one wants, he also gets seven more years from Jacob. Verse 27, Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Imagine buying a house at twice the price and finding out that it's not the house you wanted to buy, let alone a wife. And so Jacob ends up working for Laban for 14 years. Seven years for the wife he didn't want and seven years for the wife he wanted. It's a horrible story of deception, isn't it? Much more interesting than the notebook, I'm sure. My goodness, Jacob, poor him. And so how do we see God's blessing despite Laban's deception? Well, the passage then goes on to tell us that God gave Jacob a soccer team and more. Uh, His two wives and two concubines uh, bear him 11 sons and a daughter. And later in Genesis 35, his 12th son, Benjamin, is born. And as we'll see in the weeks ahead, despite Laban's deception and Jacob's predicament, God turns the messiness of his life, even Laban's deception, into a blessing. For it is through Jacob, his wives and his concubines, and the many children he bears, 
that the 12 tribes of Israel are formed, that the beginnings of the nation of Israel is established, that through his suffering, God uses us, bless him, and eventually bless us. For it is through the 12 tribes of Israel, the one through Leah, in fact, that Jesus is born. Through Leah, the wife he didn't want, is the one who will carry on the promises of God. Isn't that astounding? And so God was with Jacob. God was with Jacob and God blessed Jacob despite being deceived by Laban. Now the second major life event that we're going to look at now is when Jacob worked for Laban. Not for more wives, because he's certainly got more than enough, but for some sheep and goats, because he had none of them. Now, as you can imagine, after 14 years of working for Laban, Jacob wants to move on. Like a prisoner of war, he's paid his dues and asked Laban to send him away. Even though he's got nothing to his name, apart from his wives and children, he wants to get out. Verse Chapter 30 now, verse 25. He says to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I'll be on my way. You know how much I've worked, uh, how much work I've done for you. Can, can you sense the sadness and the desperation in Jacob's request? He's been living in exile. He's in Haran and not the Holy Land because he stole his brother's blessings. And life hasn't been easy for him in Haran. He's worked for Laban for 14 years when he should have been seven. He should have only been married to Rachel, but he's married to Leah as well. He's married to a woman he loves and a woman he doesn't love. And now that he's paid his dues, he's free to leave Padan Aram for the promised land. But Laban doesn't want Jacob to go. And it's worth noting why. Have a look at verse 27, chapter 30. But Laban says to, said to him, Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes... Please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Again, we see the stark signs of paganism in the patriarchal family. Laban practices divination. And in chapter 31, we also see that he worships idols, household gods. And through divination, he discovers that he's been blessed. He's become very rich and very well-to-do. Because of Laban. No, not because of Jacob, sorry. And Jacob knows it too. And he says to Laban in verse 30, The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now when, when may I do something for my own household? If Jacob didn't know God's blessings before, he certainly knew it now. God has kept his promise. God is with Jacob and blesses him and those around him as well, including the deceptive Laban. For 14 years, Jacob has worked for Laban and made him rich, but Jacob has nothing to his name except for his wives and kids. And so he now works for Laban for six more years, making it 20 years in total by striking a deal with Laban. Now Laban has uh, plain sheep and plain goats, but he also has spotted and striped and colored sheep and goats. And so Jacob makes a deal with Laban. He basically says to Laban, Okay, all the goats that speckled or spotted are mine, and all the goats, uh, all the other goats are yours. 
or the dark and spotted and speckled sheep are mine, and all the other sheep are yours. And so Laban agrees. Uh, and after six years, Jacob basically becomes a multi-millionaire. Have a look at chapter 30, verse 43. The man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. This guy is wealthy beyond measure. But it didn't come easily. Time and time again, Laban changed Jacob's wage, not just once or twice, but ten times. And when God tells him it's time to leave, Paran ran for the promised land, Jacob tells Leah and Rachel to pack their bags because they're fleeing. Chapter 31 now, verse 5. I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. See that? God, God says, I will be with you. And now Jacob says, God of my father has been with me. He knows God's presence. And verse 6, you know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. Imagine that. You'll never stay in the same job if your boss kept changing your wages for the worse ten times. When Jacob worked for his wife, he was cheated. When Jacob worked for his own sheep and goats, he was cheated. By none other than his uncle, than his father-in-law. But the amazing thing is that after six years, Jacob doesn't walk away with nothing, which is what you'd expect if you've been cheated. He walks away with everything. So chapter 31, verse 7, However, God has not allowed him, Laban, to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. You see, Laban's livestock is now Jacob's livestock, not because he's been a clever shepherd, but ultimately it's because God's been with him. God's looked after him. God's blessed him. God's kept his promises to him. Now, Jacob's story is a wonderful story, isn't it? Because it tells us the story of the gospel. Have you noticed it, by the way? Jacob's story is about a man who sinned. And the consequence of his sin was death. But instead of facing death, he faced the presence of God. And when he lives in exile in the land of Haran, life isn't easy but hard. He has to endure suffering, even at the hands of his own uncle. Not just once, but over and over again until he becomes the patriarch God wants him to be. And so when Jacob heads for the Holy Land, he's finally more of a saint than a scoundrel. Because as far as I can tell, he never deceives again. Just as Destin was committed to transform Simul to become Shang-Chi, so God was committed to transform Jacob to become a believing patriarch. And friends, that's our story, isn't it? As Romans chapter 6, verse 23 puts it, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Jacob, our sin leads to death. And like Jacob, we live in exile, which is the way the Apostle Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Have a look at it. To God's elect. Just as God elected and chose Jacob before he was born, before he did anything good or bad, so God has elected you if you have faith in Jesus. 
Before you did anything good or bad, God chose you. He elected you to save you from sin and death. And how does he describe it? Peter says, to God's elect, to Christians, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, sprinkled with his blood. Friends, we are the elect, and we live in exile here in Australia. For our citizenship is not Australian, but is in heaven. We're living in land that is not our home. We're living in Haran and not the Holy Land. And so like Jacob, life's going to be hard. We'll suffer from the deceit of others. We'll be cheated and tricked, even from our own family. But in whatever way we might suffer, just as God used it to discipline Jacob, to make him the patriarch God wants him to be. So God does that with us. Our time in exile is a time of God's sanctifying work by his spirit. As Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7 tells us, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children not disciplined by their father? And verse 10, they discipline us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. What purpose? In order that we may share in his holiness. That's what happens with Jacob, isn't it? And that's what happens with us. And the good news is that just as God eventually called Jacob home to the promised land, so one day God will call us home to the new creation. And so friends, when life is hard and you want to go home to Jesus, remember what Jesus told his disciples at the Lord's Supper. During the Last Supper in John chapter 14, Jesus comforts his disciples and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Friends, Jesus left his home in heaven and lived in exile in our world, in the land of the wicked, not as a consequence of his own sins, but to pay for Jacob's sins to pay for our sins. And while in exile, life was hard for him. I mean, one of his best friends tried to deceive him. Even at the Last Supper, Judas, one of his closest friends, dressed him up as a friend, when in fact he was an enemy, and eventually betrayed Jesus, which led Jesus being nailed to the cross. Yet it would be through Judas's betrayal that scripture is fulfilled. It would be through Jesus' suffering on the cross that the promises of God are fulfilled. And so friends, Jesus has died for our sins. He has risen and returned to heaven to prepare a place for us. And as sojourners living in exile, let's keep traveling this road knowing that God is sanctifying us. And when the time is right, he will take us home. Amen.